today. Thankful for this great opportunity to worship you and to learn about you and to gather around your word, especially right now. We pray, Father God, that your word would speak to each and every one of us in this room this morning. We all come to you with different things in our minds, at our hearts, and different areas of our, of our life. But Lord God, you know each and every one of them. You are intimately aware of them. And I pray this morning that your word would speak to each heart and touch every person in this room, Lord God, that we might walk away from this study this morning, desiring to walk closer to you because we've been in your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. As you probably already are aware, Christmas is rapidly approaching. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, what signifies Christmas for you? You know, all year long, we know it's out there and it's coming. And if you're like me, you're counting the days because I just love everything about Christmas, even the crowds and the craziness. I just enjoy it. But if you notice, it always seems like Christmas starts around Halloween, like before Halloween starts. In our culture, you know, is it is it the decorations? Is it the Christmas music that seems to start earlier and earlier? Maybe some of you avoid it altogether. I'm not sure. I've recently discovered the Hallmark Channel. Do they show Christmas movies all year round? Oh, okay. I was just like, me and my little son were watching it, and they're like, they're not the greatest shows, but, you know, they give you those warm fuzzies, and it's all, it's, it's just, it's just cool, you know, it's just something I hope he, he remembers. My older children are probably glad I didn't find it when they were little, because I might have had them sit with me. But, you know, it's just movies and it's shopping and it's decorations and food and all that kind of stuff kind of gives us that inkling that something's coming. And it's, you know, we look forward to it or maybe you don't. You just wait, put it off until it comes. It's just this, it's just this thing in the air. I, I remember even in the, if you've ever read the story of the Christmas Carol, there's a great scene of the, of the nephew of uh, Mr. Scrooge, and he just talks about the greatness of Christmas and how everyone just is in a, in a better mood because of it. And maybe that's what it is that everybody likes. But it's coming. There's, it's coming, and you can't stop it. Sorry. But it's a great time, I believe. And as John had mentioned, it's really, the, it's really just a foretaste of what's really to come because we're really looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And Christmas is a reminder of the first coming of Christ. And even in first century Palestine, as we're going to look at this morning, there was something in the air as, as the Old Testament prophets prophesied of the coming Messiah. Even then, they were looking forward to, we call it Christmas now, but they were looking forward to the birth of the Messiah who was going to redeem the nation Israel. And so even then, they were looking for him. And, and were there signs? Obviously, it was different than where we are now. But there was a sign that the Messiah was coming. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we do that, turn with me to the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Because there was a sign that God was going to send to the people that Christmas, or the birth of Christ, and I'm just going to say Christmas and use it interchangeably because of the season that we're in. There was a sign that Christmas was coming. And they were all looking for it, and they were well aware of it. And so look at with me in uh, Malachi chapter 3, just in verse 1. We're going to just look at this for a second, then we'll get back to Luke. Now, this is what God spoke to the prophet Malachi, and he spoke to the nation of Israel. 
He said, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So the sign that Christmas was coming, or again, that the Messiah was coming, that there's going to be a messenger that comes before him to proclaim that Jesus or the Messiah is coming. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Go back now to the Gospel of Luke, and we are going to read verses 5 through 17 and find out. You probably already know who that messenger is and what his message was, and by application, how that same message holds true for us. And the title of the morning, this morning's message is Praying for Christmas. Praying for Christmas. So let's read, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And to the the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is the account of that messenger that was coming to the nation of Israel to let them know that the Messiah was coming. This is what they had been praying for for quite some time. So let's go back now and just walk through the text a little bit, find out what was going on. And again, as I said, we'll pull out some application and see how we to ourselves and and specifically how we should be praying for Christmas, because that's going to be the application this morning. So. Is into, it is into this landscape that the messenger is born. Let's look at that, starting in verse 5 again. So it's the days of Herod. Now, Herod reigned, it's believed, between 34 and 4 B.C. So obviously right before the Messiah came, right before the turn into the modern era, you would think, or the common era, I should say. And Herod, it says, according to the Gospel of Luke, if you notice how detailed Luke is, he gives you exact names and places and orders an order of things it's not like mark where mark just zips through things luke is really detailed and he's letting us know that herod 
was king of Judea. And if you don't know about Herod, he was a tyrant. He was a pretty bad guy. It is he who later on is the one that orders that all the children or male boys under the age of two in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas are to be killed because he heard that the king had been born. So that's the guy we're talking about. It is until that time that the messenger of God is born. And so Luke goes into now, gives us the, the polar opposite of Herod. He tells us about the life of the parents of the messenger. And look at verses 5 through 7, because they continue on. As we learn that it's Zacharias, and Zacharias, there's all these little hints, by the way, in this story of God's graciousness or what God is doing. Zacharias, for example, means Jehovah remembers or God remembers. That's what Zacharias means. And as you can see in the story, God remembers his people Israel. God remembers his servant Zacharias. And so he was the division of Abijah, and he married a woman who was also from the tribe of Levi, and her name was Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, here's another hint, means God is an oath, or God is faithful, or God keeps his promise. So both of their names now, look at this, Zacharias, Jehovah remembers, and God is faithful, or God keeps an oath. You see these little hints in the story again about what God is going to do. And what Luke writes about the parents of the, the messenger is this that both parents were righteous in the sight of God. So despite the time that they lived in, despite, obviously, as we know now, that they didn't have a child that they've been praying for for so long, God still considered them righteous in his sight. And they both walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, we are told in verse 6. So again, despite the time that they lived in, and despite their prayers not being answered, they were both considered righteous, and they did what was right in God's eyes. They were blameless. And look at verse 7. But despite this, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So even here at Elizabeth being barren, meaning she had no child. It is also a picture, a depiction of Israel at the time. Israel was barren because for 400 years between Malachi and the Gospels, the stories that they convey, 400 years where God had not spoken to his people through a prophet. So Israel, in a sense, was barren as well. See, God uses his people to speak a greater message than than what's really going on. It's like a behind the scenes. And those of you in the book of Revelation will probably see that. I really like the book of Revelation for that reason, because it kind of like draws the curtain back and you see what's going on behind the scenes. And it's, it's just really cool. So when you read Revelation, look at it like that. All that God is doing. And I'm sure John is pointing that out. So that's what going, is going on. Elizabeth is barren. And then why else? Well, because they're advanced in years. I like that better than saying they're old people. They're advanced in years. It's, it's a positive thing. Advanced. Not, or not disadvantaged in years. No, we're advanced in years. It's an advantage. So as I'm advancing in years i'm gonna hold on to that thing right there so my little son says you're old no i'm advanced in years kid you're disadvantaged in years anyways so that's what's going on so this this is the family of who we know as to be john the baptist and so what is his father doing at this time so what's going on look at look with me now at verse eight 
So now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service, speaking of Zacharias, before God in the appointed order of his division. So just a little background on what's going on here. So twice a year, each division within the tribe of Levi was selected to go serve at the temple in Jerusalem. So just twice a year, these group of men who were a Levitical priest were designated to go at a certain time to serve for about a week at the temple. And their duties that they were given at the time were chosen by casting lots. It says that they look at verse nine, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. So Zacharias was chosen to go into the temple. Now, not every person got to go into the temple. As a matter of fact, if you were chosen to go into the temple, you were deemed as being like spiritually rich or blessed because you got to do it. And you only got to do it one time in your lifetime. So this was it. This was a big moment for Zacharias to serve God in such a way. And so he goes into the temple to burn incense. Now, in, uh, at this time in the temple, they would offer prayer three times a day, every day at the temple. And incense was burned at the morning prayer and at the evening prayer. So Zacharias now goes inside with an attendant who would eventually, you know, fade away because he drops off some incense or some coals and then leaves. And Zacharias is going to be the only one in the temple. And if you look at some detail here, look at verse 10. And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. This was a holy and special moment. The priest. Once a day now goes there twice a day, but this moment here, he's going to go in and offer incense, which represents the prayers of God's people. And they're going to rise up to God and everybody else, all the other Levitical priests that aren't serving in the temple. And everyone else that has come just to join in in prayer is outside the temple waiting or praying with Zacharias, praying to God just like he is. And there's probably a specific prayer. I mean, Zacharias, think of this, if you were chosen. You were chosen to represent the nation, God's people, to go before God and to pray for the people. And obviously, what are they praying for? They're praying for the redemption. They're praying for, for Messiah to come. That's why I said we're praying for Christmas. That's what he's doing. He's probably going in there praying for his people he represents his people all the nation of israel so to speak is behind him if you picture this he's in the temple everyone else is outside on their face on the ground praying with him to god and probably praying for zacharias too as well and so he goes in and he begins praying for the nation of israel and redemption and what happens look at verse 12 or verse 11 and an angel of the lord appeared to him standing at the right hand or standing to the right of the altar of incense. So that's a little scary, right? An angel. Imagine if you saw an angel, that would be pretty freaky. And Zacharias was freaked out. Look at verse 12. That's my translation. Zacharias was troubled when he saw an angel and fear gripped him. He was scared. What is this angel appearing to him for? What happened? What's going on? Look at what the message of the angel is in verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. The petition, I believe, was probably for the redemption of Israel. Because 
even though the very next section says that, look at, well, let's read this so you know what I'm talking about. He says, um, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Some people believe that he was in there praying for the son. Well, I, I don't think so. I think if he's going in there representing the nation Israel, he's already been praying for his son a long time, and he's well advanced in years, he's probably, okay, fine, but we're not going to have a child. But does that mean God can't answer your prayer even after you stop praying for it? No, he can. But God was using some, was going to answer a prayer in a much bigger way. He's going to give him his son, but he's going to be the messenger that is going to proclaim that the Messiah has come. And I think that's the prayer that he's talking about. Again, Zacharias is representing his people. He's probably not in there praying for a prayer just for himself. As I said, he's praying for the entire nation. He's praying for the redemption of Israel, praying for Messiah to come. And the angel says, your prayer has been heard. The Messiah is going to come. And guess what? I'm going to use your son that you've been praying for a long time ago as the one to lead the way, prepare the way. I think that's the best way to understand it and to read it. And let's go on. Look at verse uh, 14 or the end of third. Let's read 13 again. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. So, again, Zacharias is praying for the redemption of Israel, praying for Christmas to come, so to speak. And his prayer has been answered. And what does the Lord say to him through the angel? He says, I'm going to give you a son and his name is going to be John. And just another hint that God is working through this story. The name John means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. He's graciously heard your prayer. He's graciously sending the Messiah to the nation Israel. To Zacharias and Elizabeth. He's, he's answering their prayer. Let's read on. And look at what he says about this. You will have joy and gladness. Isn't that true when you have a baby? After the baby comes, the parents are immediately experienced joy and gladness that they cannot explain, that they did not have a few moments ago. There's nothing like when, it, when you have your child, the joy and gladness they bring at that instance when they're born. You immediately fall in love. And I think this is what the angel is telling Zacharias, saying, you will, again, going to verse 14, you will have joy and gladness because of the birth of your son. But not only that, look at this. Many will rejoice at his birth. Who are the many? Well, the many is a nation Israel. All those who are going to believe the message of John the Baptist and receive the Messiah as their king. So many will rejoice for the salvation that is coming. See, Israel stands at the door and they're waiting for the Messiah to come. Now, through the angel, God has proclaimed that Messiah is going to come because that sign that was proclaimed in Malachi is here. The messenger that prepares the way of the Lord is here. Many will rejoice in that. Matter of fact, Zechariah understands this. Just later on, once, he is, once John is born, look at verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. Just turn there with me. It could be, might even be on the same page as your Bible. I'm not sure. But Zechariah understood that this baby is more than just his own son. 
Look at what he proclaims. He prophesies in the Holy Spirit, starting in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished what? Redemption for his people. This is at the announcement that his son is born. He recognizes what it means that the messenger is here and who his son is. Again, blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old, speaking all the prophets in the Old Testament, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Remember, God keeps oaths. The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, now he speaks to his child, and you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and to end the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias understood what it meant that many will rejoice because the messenger has come, because not just the messenger, because what does that mean? That Christmas is coming, that salvation is coming, redemption is coming to the house of Israel. So what does it say, going back to our text now about the gospel, about John? Look at verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Why is he great? Because he has this great honor of proclaiming that Messiah has come. We've been going through the gospel of John now for the most of this year. Do you remember in the very early chapters what John's proclamation was? Behold, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That was his job, to introduce Jesus Christ. That's why he was great. And by extension, just a little application, guess what? Each and every one of you and me have that great opportunity to declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to other people. We have that as well. It's not that we're great people, but we have a great message and a great God. And so I think that's what it's talking about here. Continuing on in verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while it is while yet in his mother's womb. So not only will he be great, but this is just a way of saying he's going to be dedicated to God. Instead of being filled with wine, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just again, a way of showing his total dedication to his ministry that is going to be so great and what is this message going to be we'll look at verses 16 and 17 and this is the message he will look at verse 16 and he will turn many of the sons of israel back to the lord their god you see he is in line of the old testament prophets the old testament prophets were sent to the nation of israel when when they were falling away god would send his messengers to them to tell them to repent and come back and that's what John is going to do. The nation of Israel has been barren for 400 years. They have not heard from God. They've fallen away from God in a certain sense. 
And John the Baptist is in line with the Old Testament prophets, and he's going to call them back. That's his message. Call them back to repent, to return, and even to warn them. Hey, if you don't return, you're facing judgment. Remember, we looked at that last week. If you were here uh, in remembering the Lord, Moses proclaiming to the nation of Israel before they went into the promised land to be warned. If you forget the Lord, your God, what's going to happen? You will be lost for eternity. And John the Baptist, again, is coming to God's people to tell them to return and repent. And if you know his story, that's exactly what he does. He's going to turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God and tell them to come back. And look at, let's continue on. Um, what else is he going to do? Verse 17, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You see, he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And it says in the spirit and power of Elijah. In the mold of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. He's not literally, literally Elijah. It's not like Elijah reincarnated, but he's in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You remember when he was asked later on in his life, are you Elijah the prophet? And he said, no, I'm not. But if you all, you may also be thinking, well, Jesus said he was Elijah. What well, was figuratively speaking that he was Elijah? He had the same ministry as Elijah. He had the same power of the prophet Elijah, and he's compared to him. So part of his message is not only calling the nation of Israel back, but it's calling the entire world to follow after God. Look at verse 17. It is he will go, who will go as a forerunner before him, meaning Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to do what? To turn the hearts of their fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So not only is he calling the nation of Israel back, he is to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. What does that mean? Well, he's talking about harmony and reconciliation within families because they've submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the only true way that you can have harmony in relationships by submitting to God. And by by doing that, they're also going to turn from their disobedience into righteousness. Those of us who have experienced the mercy of God and salvation, we've turned from our disobedience to an attitude of righteousness. Now, we don't always do, it doesn't say you always do what's righteous, no. But we should have that attitude of wanting to do what is right. And it's only by submitting to God that that's even possible. Because John is, as it says at the end of verse 17, is going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Getting people ready to meet Jesus Christ. That was also his responsibility. So it was calling the nation of Israel back to return and getting everybody else ready because the Lord is coming. Christmas is coming again, in a sense, to make them ready for the Lord. John's going to preach repentance and call people to be ready for Christ's return. He's going to call them to be spiritually alert and be expectant for the coming Redeemer. Expect him. It's close now. It's kind of like, you know, we've turned Thanksgiving Christmas is coming. John's been born now in a sense, too. He's like, hey, the Lord's coming now. We know this is happening in John's lifetime because he is the prophet that was predicted in Malachi. A matter of fact, let's go back to Malachi one last time before we get into our application this morning. 
Malachi chapter 4, the very last two verses, verses 5 and 6, says exactly this, what we see in Luke. Look at what it says. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, before you think, oh, that means the second coming. Hold on, because it says great and terrible day of the Lord. Look at verse 6. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and to the hearts of their children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. That last sentence there was the exact same verse that Luke uses to signify Jesus is coming the first time. And I believe this verse in context is talking about Jesus' first advent. The great and terrible day of the Lord is, is used a number of times at any time really the Lord appears in the Old Testament. The Lord comes for judgment because you think about when Jesus did come the first time, in a sense, he has declared the day of the Lord and he's judging people right then and there. Some people will turn to him and some people will reject him and thereby being sentenced and judged. It's the, really the beginning of the last days. And again, even in the book of Revelation, I believe that there may be somebody like Elijah again sent again to proclaim the second coming of the Lord. This one, though, here in, in Malachi, I believe, is talking about that first coming, the first advent. Again, but all three of these descriptions in the Gospel of Luke are descriptions of John's message and also reinforce that John is the prophet that Malachi is speaking about coming right before the Messiah comes. So with that said, what does that have to do with me and you? Well, I think the ministry that John had, we have in, in a sense as well. And I'm going to ask us this, these three things, that we pray for three specific things this Christmas. And, and I hope you will see that it's a worthwhile exercise to pray for these three things at Christmas. Look at number one. Let's pray that many will rejoice that the Messiah has come to bring redemption from sin. Again, when we look at Christmas, and even as I described all the things that I like about Christmas, they really don't have much to do with, you know, Jesus. I, I, don't, I haven't seen a Hallmark story yet that talks about the gospel. I haven't seen all of them either. I've only seen like a couple. But <clears throat> even the Christmas trees and decorations and, and a lot of the Christmas music, they're not talking about the coming of the Messiah. But guess what? That's really what we're celebrating, isn't it? So let's pray that many will rejoice that the Messiah has come to bring redemption. That's what we're celebrating, that Jesus has come this first time to bring redemption to many people. Redemption from sin. That is the true meaning of Christmas. Remember again in our story in Luke what Zechariah said. And I'm going to read it one more time. In just verses 68. And 69, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. That's what Christmas is. Jesus coming is the opportunity for redemption. It's the promised Messiah coming to redeem his people and all the world, reconciling them to God. That's what Christmas is. That's what that joy is. We can have it if you receive him, if you believe on him. 
So let's pray during this Christmas time for ways to convey that to people, even in our own lives, to not get caught up in all the other stuff, which is fun. And I'll be the first one leading the charge, you know, doing that kind of stuff. But I always want to remember what it's truly about and why there's true joy, because this Christmas season is going to fade away real quick. It's going to be December 26th. And if you're like me, you have the Christmas blues, you know, like, oh, Christmas is over. I'm going to keep listening to Christmas music, keep watching Hallmark movies. I'm just kidding. No, I'm going to truly understand what Christmas is. It's about Jesus Christ coming to bring redemption for all people. That's how you have true joy. So let's pray that many people will understand that, including ourselves. Secondly, let's pray that many will be turned back to the Lord their God. Okay, now remember, John's mission was to turn back the nation Israel back to God. Those who have fallen away and backslidden. Can you not think of people in your life right now who have who need to be turned back to God, who have fallen away at one time? They were sitting right here next to us or at another church. And maybe it was even long ago. And they are the ones that even brought you to come to church. And now they're gone. Let's pray that God during this time would bring them back. And maybe he'll use you to do that. I'm not sure. But he can. Let's pray that many will be turned back to the Lord, their God. They were following him, and now they're not, for whatever reason. But let's pray that God will do that mighty work this time of the year. Thirdly and lastly, let's pray that many will be ready to believe Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, John's, part of John's mission was to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And so part of the deal is getting everybody ready to even believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, God can do that in a number of different ways with you and me and with this church. But let's pray again that many will be ready to believe Jesus is the Messiah. Let's not lose sight of that. So, again, just real quick, the three things that I want to pray with that I want you to pray for this Christmas season. And we'll start in a few moments by praying together for this is that. Let's pray that many will rejoice that the Messiah has come to bring redemption from sin. That's the true meaning of Christmas. Secondly, let's pray that many will be turned back to the Lord their God. Again, those who have fallen away. And thirdly, let's pray many will be ready to believe Jesus is the Messiah. Salvation. Let's pray that right now as we close. So pray with me. Lord God, again, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word. We pray that you would speak to us in a uh, that you would just use us in a mighty way, not only in this coming season, but for our entire life. But specifically, Lord God, we want to pray for three things, and I'm sure each and every one of us can think of people in our lives who this pertains to. First and foremost, Lord God, let us. We pray for maybe our neighbors and friends and family and just anybody in general in this nation who does not know the true meaning of Christmas. Lord God, we pray that they will rejoice that what it means is that the Messiah has come to bring redemption from sin. That is the greatest gift. And the greatest thing that can bring each and every person in this world true joy even after Christmas fades away. Lord God, secondly, we also pray for our, 
those brothers and sisters of ours, maybe sons and daughters, maybe parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, who once praised you and loved you and followed after you, read your word, sat in church with us, and they have fallen away for whatever reason. Maybe things in this world have become so much more sweeter to them. Maybe they were offended by somebody in the church. Maybe they don't understand what you did or why you took somebody out of their life through death or whatever the case may be, Lord God. But we pray for them right now. As we think of them in our minds and in our hearts, we ask that you would draw them back to yourself. Lord God, that you would remove the sinfulness and pride and arrogance in their life. Whatever they're upset about or mad about or or they do not believe anymore, Lord God, we pray that you would break that. That you would draw them back to yourself as you did the nation Israel at the time of John's birth. Lord God, we pray that you would use us or anybody that loves you to draw them back to yourself. May we be open to speaking to them in love about these great truths. So, Lord God, again, we pray that you would draw them back to yourself. And lastly, Lord God, we pray that each and every person in this world, and even those that are close to us, specifically those that we know who do not know you, that they would be ready to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That they would clearly see what Christmas is about again, Lord God. That they would know that why you came was to bring salvation to them. And I pray that they would believe in that this year before it is too late. Help us to remember to always pray for these things, Lord God, as we pray now. We thank you that you have come and redeemed us. And we pray for that for all those that we love and know. And it's in your name we pray this. Amen.